Zubak, the international party scientist. Welcome to the Shadow Playground. I'm so excited to be speaking with you to learn more about your path and to be diving into all things play and shadow today. As if we can somehow figure out uh, in this short conversation how to make Earth a playground and unlock the health benefits of play. Uh, that that would it would be a good episode if we accomplish that. <laughs> well, let's start at the end. What would an Earth playground look like to you? Um, for me, for me. So so, my mission as the party scientist. There's a lot of different foci I have, but one of which is asking asking how we can upgrade party culture and how we can upgrade how we gather based on the science of human connection. So I love to geek out about social neurochemistry. So how do social bonds form? How do, how do our human connections impact our mental health and our neurotransmitters? And I believe how we gather, specifically in bars, restaurants, and nightclubs, I believe that those mainstream modes of gathering don't take into account what we know about social neurochemistry. So I would imagine that there would be just a lot more ritual and shared moments and experiences in our gathering spaces. I am a facilitator, and I believe facilitation has helped me unlock the full health benefits of human connection in my life. And so I would want to empower more people in these spaces and bars, nightclubs, you know, wherever. I would want to empower people to be hosts and facilitators of games, exercises, activities that are known to unlock those healthy neurotransmitters and that sense of safety that we, we all crave crave yeah nice yeah that's i imagine walking out in the street and just seeing everyone playing games left right and center and it's true that we turn so much to bars with alcohol or drugs or sort of these uh you know conventional ways of connecting with people because that's what we know but there's an entire world out there of other ways of connecting and i think you really have dived deep dived into that world <laughs> yes yes and you mentioned games and I recall many conversations where I've said that we've lost that element of summer camp and games in how we gather, especially adults. As an example, as I was biking through the beach on Canada Day and like there were drinking games, like that's a great start. I witnessed a lot of drinking games, but otherwise, like I, I just noticed like a lot of our socialization happens through talking. And I think there's this element of summer camp games that are so exhilarating and, and we've kind of lost that. And I, I see a lack of creativity in how, you know, a lot of adolescents and adults gather. And I think it stems from this fear of uh, being ostracized and uh, looking like a child and looking goofy and so I, I think there's this element of uh, like pretentiousness and this element of I need to look good in how we gather. And I think that's why we've lost that element of games. Well, one of your zones of genius that I've seen is that you're able to that voice of fear of like, oh, no, I need to look good or I need to not seem goofy or silly. I've seen you 
really in some ways shed that. I'm thinking of a story in, when we were we were in my banana suit. In your banana suit, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have a. I, I'm remembering when we were. You had a sort of mobile dance party in Vancouver, and we were walking along, yes. and you you discovered there was some people there. There was a, a pool. They were hanging out pool, very tranquil day kind of thing. And I think if I remember correctly, you kind of went and like jumped in the pool, started splashing. There was, and within a few minutes, I think one of the women was twerking. There was, her husband was looking on in shock, but also admiration. There was a sort of like huge sense of connection that was there. And so going back to this question uh, or this, this notion of you just having emerged from that sort of a binding that bind a lot of us have how were you able to break free how did you were you able to break free from a lot of that that fear that sort of notion of okay i'm just gonna respect the status quo and not look silly at all yeah ah i love that example that was so much fun and yeah the principle underlying my actions there is being being the first being the uh the first one to express uh the first one to take a social risk i really try to take as many social risks as possible and a social risk could just be smiling at someone or high-fiving someone or inviting someone for a dance right there's a spectrum of social risk taking and when I take social risks, what happens is other people feel safe to take social risks as well. And that's why a bunch of people joined me in this little inflatable pool and a party started, right? It was beautiful. Um, now, how have I broken free from conformity? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of this phrase, right? Like, how do we how do we not give a fuck? How do we break free from social pressure and this this fear of you know if i do something differently i'm not going to be included and people aren't going to like me the first thing that comes to mind as is i've i've just taken so many social risks where i've been massively socially rewarded that my my belief about social risk taking is that it has way more rewards than risks nowadays like as a as an example, uh, I I started uh, yeah I guess I guess I could use the example like I travel in like a vibrant outfit and I once was on a plane and I started a sing along on the plane when we landed and it was a huge social risk it was a huge social risk but everyone ended up joining in and applauding. And so in that moment, I added a lot of social value and I also gained a lot of, you know, rapport. Uh, so how, how have I developed that ability? I mean, just by effort, like I put myself in a lot of situations where I take social risks and I see, I see that there's actually more rewards than harms um there's been a few times where i've been rejected and ostracized and that hurts but you know that's how the brain's wired right we experience one moment of ostracization or awkwardness and that somehow obliterates all the previous rewards and achievements we've made right 
So we need to disassemble that pattern of thinking and we need to create like a more statistical representation of how often we've gained from taking social risks versus we've been harmed. So that that's one, like I've just put myself in a lot of situations where I've gained massively. Uh, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is just, I just journal a lot and I, I practice a lot and I kind of have this philosophy of getting better every day. And I really take a critical approach on my thought patterns. And so for a lot of people, fear comes up, whether it's somatic or it's cognitive, that, that sensation of fear and nervousness, and that prevents people from taking social risks. And, and when that happens for me, it's more of a cue to act. Like that, that bodily discomfort, um, I, I will replace those thinking patterns of like, what if people won't accept me? What if this happens with, oh wait, if I fail, that means I'm becoming better. And if I create an awkward interaction or I get rejected or I get excluded because of my social risks taking, that's a good thing, which means that I am becoming a better facilitator and I am developing my capacity to serve groups. It's not from a standpoint of what can I get? It's from a standpoint of what can I give? And the more, the more that I like, make people uncomfortable and fuck up as a facilitator and as a conversationalist, the more I am cultivating my capacity to create intimacy in groups and with the people right in front of me. So I'll end all this with a quote that I've recently come up with and it's this, every instance of awkwardness, rejection, or ostracization is evidence for my progress. There you go. It's my monologue. How would you have anything to add? How can well, you advise me? As <laughs> well, I actually wanted just to reflect that I, I really like how you, first of all, I feel like I see you as this sort of rogue electron that's like whizzing around the planet, creating parties, that. laughing and questioning everything. And you know, working from dusk to dawn and and dawn to dusk, and I I appreciate the just hearing the different angles of it. Like the, there's the actions, there's like the constantly upping the risk, but then there's also the working with your thought patterns, and there's also that notion of being in collective service. So I can see how the way that you frame this in your life, it's like if you're completely shifting what it means to be uncomfortable and saying this is aligned, 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 actually helping me on my path. Wow. If we can just take what you just said as a soundbite, upload it to YouTube as role modeling, uh, excellent paraphrasing. I, I think we could get a lot of views on that uh, upload. <laughs> so many views. We'll monetize it. I, I also, for the people who can't see this, it's the audio version. I like the you're stretching with a broom behind your back. This is, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, good. and, and, and the, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that as I point this broom with no broom head at you. Um, so much of our ability to have fun and have meaningful connections is just a reflection of our physiology. 
And if our physiology is dysregulated and we are sleep deprived or malnourished or our muscles are tensed or we have low potassium in our blood, like <laughs> it's actually way harder to connect and to do what I just said. Like when I am stressed, I am less likely to embrace discomfort and take social risks and apply effort. Uh, and so this is why I'm so big on like biohacking and health optimization is because I know it massively impacts my performance as a facilitator. And it's so weird to say this, but like performance as a pro-social being, right? So there you yeah, go. Yeah, so taking care of those physical, that your actual physical, like the, the, the body-mind, so to speak, that's going to make everything else easier. I'm wondering what some of the impacts have been both for you in this transformation that you've been through and also for people in your entourage, people that you interact with in public, what have been some of the impacts of this, of this shift towards um, almost like a delightful risk taking and deliberately being, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, non-normatively silly in public? Oh, I mean, ultimately we just, raise the threshold of acceptable expression. Therefore, there's a larger spectrum of acceptable expression in the room. And so essentially what happens is, is like people just relax, they laugh more, they smile more, they touch, they touch more. And, uh, you know, some of the crazy ones join the fun and start dancing and start being silly. And they really embrace your invitation to play. I want to go back to your question, though, about social conformity and social risk taking. And I'm wondering if you have any strategies and, and what's been your journey in social risk taking and what enables you to take social risks and if we can create a universal theory for social risk taking. Let's create a universal theory. Also, one one moment I, I put on music and yeah. I went... I was in Medellin in Colombia and I went, I just put on music and I just danced. I made a party list, a party song, and I danced through the street. And it was, I specifically did this to look like an idiot and to see, <laughs> and just to experience what it might be like to be in public space. And those are the things, something, something very beautiful about being in public space and specifically not being put together, not being, not dancing beautifully. Uh, just expressing yourself. And that was, it was a beautiful experience for me because it helped me, it gave me so much data. Some people didn't care. Some people were interested in what I was doing. Some people thought it was stupid. And it felt like for me, the ultimate, and I think relating to the quote that you were saying, it felt like the ultimate growing zone or training ground, because here I was expressing myself as I wanted to, and everyone was having their own reactions to me. And I simply was just letting them have their own reactions and having my own experience of it. And so that was, that was, and I definitely try and do that kind of thing of just trying to break that shell because I know for myself, it's so, uh, it's so easy to have a, in a paid facilitation space, for instance, to go into like, okay, let's wonky, crazy innovation land. Let's go there. But when you're in the, the street, there's no frame. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no, no frame. container. Exactly. There's no container. And I think that that's, that's all the more important to break those social norms and not for the sake of breaking it, like you were saying, but I think for the sake of our, I think there's a collective liberation there and it's a liberation from our own mores that keep yeah. us entrapped in a, 
a serious, um, professional, you know, productive, like I'm going to work and uh, nothing, da, 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 nothing to look at here. I'm I'm inspired by that, and we we definitely share that in common. I will dance in public alone, and it's really uncomfortable, and I feel it in my body, especially when I'm blasting music, and I know like I'm probably pissing people off, and and that's where it gets really edgy, where like you ask yourself is this adding value? Like it's very different with headphones on <laughs> like headphones is like, I like that too. It's even, it's, it's, it is uncomfortable because people don't hear the music. So they're like, what the hell is this guy listening to? But uh, the, the one reflection I wanted to add is this idea of social reps. And this idea was given to me by this guy named Jeremy Green and he is a wild card and he is someone who inspires me. And when I was in Santa Monica with him in Los Angeles, we went and we danced around and we did these social reps. And Jeremy describes it as basically uh, uh, training episodes to detach from other people's reactions to you. And I remember driving in his car through the streets and he would open his window and laugh like a maniac and and like wave at people. And these people would just be like, what the hell? And he would just laugh hysterically and he'd be like, yeah, you just got to like detach from what there's what their reaction is. Like, we just got to get those social reps in. And I was so inspired because he was so much crazier than me. So what I'm hearing is, yeah, like the social reps that uh, you were putting in when you were dancing through the streets. Um, and uh, one thing I want to emphasize with what you said is just like, it's it's actually very easy to facilitate play and open people up when there's a context and there's a container. And the context is, hey, I'm inviting you to an event where we're going to do this and we're going to learn these things when you have that context, it's so easy. And so that, that like when I'm in public, it's like I create the context, I'll get people in a huddle and I'll create the context, I'll create the container. Um, so, so you know, when we're facilitating workshops for, for corporations and whatnot, creating that context and, and the reasons to participate and giving people accurate expectations so they can fully surrender into the experience. These are all super important things for people to fully embody that uh, sacred silliness, right? I like this, I created the sacred silliness and yeah, creating, giving them the tools, the context, the container for that to make it possible. And also that you're saying with the reps thing, you know, if you try to lift up a huge weight at the very beginning without having repped up with smaller ones, it obviously would break your arms or you would be able to lift it at all. So it's a good metaphor for the idea of building, building your way up. One thing I wanted to, to ask you was about uh, the, I guess, potential negative reactions that people might have when, when you're in this state of silliness, of energy, of play and joy. I noticed for myself, for instance, that I, I, assumed, uh, I assumed that when I got to states of high energy, super playfulness, really wanting to engage in the present moment, I assumed a lot of people would enjoy that. And what I realized is that a lot of, some people did, and some people, including friends, actually found it deeply annoying 
for a whole number of reasons. But, you know, feeling tired around me, not wanting to be there, distancing, finding the whole thing annoying, too much, too intense. Uh, perhaps you've heard some of these comments from people. And I'm wondering, first of all, what, well, that's my experience. What have your experiences been in terms of the negative reactions of you being fully in your sort of playful power? And also, how do you navigate those reactions? Okay, first of all, it's, it's, I, it's almost like not even the reactions. It's just their mindset and the state of their body is one in which they cannot receive joy or affection. And so it's like not even that they're reacting to me. It's just like, what state are they in already? Give you an example as like, I was on a family trip in Barcelona and France. And a lot of times, like my family members were just in a really negative state. And sometimes my joy would, would lift them out of that state when I, when I met them where they were at and I calmed down and I made an explicit invitation and, and I supported them and looked them in the eyes. But, you know, oftentimes people are just, their reactions to us are just a reflection of their pre-existing mental and physiological state. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, you know, like, I'll share another, I'll share a story. So this is pretty cool. Uh, I'm at Barcelona Pride. I just led like four parties and I'm on my way back from, uh, and by the way, these parties were amazing. Barcelona is a great place to put on classical music and partner dance. I, I did that and like within 20 minutes, it was like 50, 100 people partner dancing. I was having the time of my life and I actually got elbowed in the face and that's why I have a little bruise on my, uh, on my eyebrow there. Um, but I take my speaker onto the subway and, uh, I, I, it's, it's edgy. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a space where people have not consented to you playing music, first of all. Right. And so, and like, as a facilitator, you know, like my highest leadership version of myself is like, no, you don't do that. Like you got to get consent. Like you don't intrude. But anyway, like when, when it's late at night and like people are coming back from pride, a lot of people there, there is a context for it. So I'm putting on my music and there's this one girl sitting right next to me and she's kind of like rolling her eyes and like, what's going on? Like, why is this guy here? And I'm, I'm sensing that negative reaction and and it makes me uncomfortable and it's like energetics it, it, they don't even need to make eye contact you just sense it right you sense the group's receptivity or negativity anyway so i'm like getting people to clap and i'm just like starting with really slow music and then i sit down next to all these people and it's like we have two rows of of seats right and we're facing each other and we're in the subway and i start to <laughs> I sit down with all of them and I start to like put my heels up kind of like the can-can dance <laughs> and like all these other girls, women and, and men, they start to do it with me and I notice the other girl on the end who is really negative at first, she's just laughing her face off and she's joined in, right? So I think a lot of the time um, when I get negative reactions, it's my cue 
to remind myself to meet people where they are at in their energy. Because if you just eject people from a low vitality state into vibrancy and exhilaration, it's just like unsettling. Um, yeah, anything to add? What, what do you do when you uh, get negative reactions or you have any stories around that? Well, I just, my main thing that's coming up for me is just thinking what a complex dance it is because you're coming in and there's this notion of seeing people where they're at and also lifting, perhaps raising the energy. And there's also layers of consent, of respecting people. There's also everyone else's reactions to what's going on. So there's, it's, it's a, it is a disruptive force. And, and there's also, I mean, I'm thinking of notions of like accessibility and safety but at the same time, if it was so, if you were to focus so much on accessibility and safety yeah. and consent and blah, 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 perhaps you wouldn't even be doing that because you'd be like, I need to respect these people's space and we're not going to have a party in the bus or in the, in the metro. And in that case, I imagine in the story you're sharing, a lot of the people probably really enjoyed it and looked, it sounds like they were having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, every social risk that I take there's a risk of making people feel uncomfortable. There's a risk of making people feel uncomfortable when, you know, like what I did at this festival is like, I stood, I stood with my knee down and like, would, would like invite people to partner dance with me. I would approach them and like kneel down and invite them to dance with me. And then, and then, yeah, that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. And so does inviting people to speak in a circle of strangers and and singling people out and saying, I would love to hear from you. Would you like to share? Right? Like that's for a lot of for a lot of small facilitators who don't like to play in this space of discomfort, um, they won't do that. They won't single people out, they won't invite the whole group to 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 dance together, to be goofy. And they'll play in this container of, of safety. And, and the whole purpose of safety for me is so that we can expand the, like our boundaries. Right. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And how do, what's the, so what's the process, the transition from someone being in a closed off low vitality state that you mentioned to, and you've probably seen this multiple times with people you work with. So if that closed off state to someone who's kind of arms in the air, singing, dancing, yeah. wildly, you know, just kind of wildly connecting with everyone. What is the like? What is the storyline from that from state A to state B? How do they get there? Yeah, yeah, really curious about your approach as well. Um, so this is there's, I mean, mo immediately what comes to mind is just this idea of emotional contagion, right? And if people like we are we are responsive to the energy of other people's emotions and so oftentimes if you just put like a low vitality person around people who are experiencing joy like they will get a contact high so there's that but what i like to do is i like to start slow and i just like to cultivate mindfulness in the beginning i like to bring people out of their potentially negative thought patterns and just into the moment. I like to do rituals where people pretend to throw their responsibilities and stressors and, you know, all the, the things happening in their lives 
all the responsibilities they have. That's a big one. And bring people into this carefree, mindful state. And, and I like to get them to relax their shoulders, relax their jaw, and just like calm down their body before elevating their body. Uh, and then what I'll do is like, I love gratitude meditations. I love to just bring people into a state of gratitude. Usually like I'm leading events in the first world. And so I like to bring attention to the fact that, that, you know, we've all won the lottery and we're, we're blessed to, to be in a first world. And so, and not only that, I love to bring people into a state of gratitude for others in their lives. So that human connection element, sometimes I'll even get people to just be, to beam gratitude for the other people surrounding them as well. From there, like it's just movement, movement and heart rate elevation. Like I'll just get people stretching. I'll get people clapping like body posture is a big part of it as well. So just if I get people to just open up their body and just put their hands above their head and like breathe, it does a lot to change people's physiology. And then of course my favorite, and this is what I do in some of my zoom sessions is I'll put on a song, um, that has like workout lyrics. One of them is called stretch, jump, move and shake. Everybody going to get fit today. Stretch, jump, move and shake. Let's get fit today. <laughs> Something like that. And it's just like, I get people doing like jumping jacks and just pretending to do bicep curls with like objects in their homes. <laughs> and I just cultivate movement. Um, so yeah, that's really it. Yeah. Anything you do in particular, any tools you have? Like I like the the, the, um, the scaffolding that's there. There's the gratitude, there's the mindfulness, there's the movement, there's the breath. Uh, I definitely, I definitely also like to lean in. If people are feeling exhausted, I'll you know let's take a nap, let's just like moan together, let's yeah. let it out, whatever. Is there. <laughs> like really leaning into, it. and often that itself can just feel so cathartic because you're moaning or you're lying down or you're just. Like just let's just think in how exhausted you all feel. <sighs> I find that can be a really interesting direction actually as well. I find there's so many, so many, so many different pathways to get to a state of higher vibration or higher energy together. Uh, but I definitely, that's, that, that's one. And I agree with you. The movement can be so powerful, um, especially collective movement and sort of uh, rhythm and moving in, in synchrony. I'm wondering for you, like, how do you, there's a notion within, you know, facilitation generally, and specifically you're doing sort of a kind of joy facilitation or like a playful facilitation where let's say you're arriving, you need to be beaming, you know, <laughs> beaming, uh, mm -hmm. you know, rainbows and energy. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, how do you turn that on? How, let's say you're having a day where you're like, oh, like I'm tired. I don't feel like facilitating today. Maybe I have a client's paid me. I'm supposed to do this party. And you're like, I'm not there. I'm just, I'm elsewhere. How do you find that inner space yourself and kind of, and be able to energetically show yeah. up and be like, Hey everyone, let's, let's get going here. Ah, I love that. I love that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Experts are able to produce results even when they don't feel like it. Right. And that's, that's the difference between like professionals and amateurs. Uh, and so when I'm really not feeling like doing something. I mean, usually, usually like when I sufficiently prepare 
I, I feel much better. So that's one thing. I'll just like prepare my playlist. Everything will be ready to go. Everything's set up the night before, like the studio's ready to go. And then I have maximal rest. A lot of my work is like in a different time zone. So I have to wake up really early. Uh, the other piece is, yeah, it's like sufficient rest. Oftentimes before a session, I'll like put my feet up against the wall and I'll just take some deep breaths on my back with my feet up against the wall. And I'll put music on with these beautiful headphones I'm wearing and I'll do some memory visualizations. So if I'm really feeling not really that excited, I'll put on a song that has this nostalgia uh, and excitement associated with it. And I'll, uh, I'll listen to the song and it'll pump me up, especially like there are certain memories I've had to specific tracks that it's just impossible for me to not feel joy and feel confidence and feel in my power, right? So really use music and, and yeah, I'll dance. I'll dance before the session and just elevate my heart rate and activate that joy beforehand. And then once the session begins, I just focus on like the people in my session and and I'm just, I just like, I'm really happy to see them. <laughs> so like, I'll focus on their emotions. And when I make a joke or when I joke around about being the party scientist, I notice people laugh and I notice people smile and I, I'm like a positive energy vampire. So their positive energy, you feed off it and it brings you even more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's. It's called emotional amplification. So you tune into the emotions of the other person and you get you get joy. So it's it's an empathetic process. Yeah. There's a there's a whole it's so interesting hearing about the this other layer of your process because from the exterior it might look like, okay, this guy's coming, he's got a huge speaker, he's wearing funny clothes, and he's like he's making this party happen. But on another level, you're kind of dancing with everyone's biology, including your own. To make to see what tweaks need to happen for you to be able to live this sort of collective and ecstatic experience together and it's a level it's a level that is happening but is not visible to the eye yeah certainly again it's like emotional contagion it's the social dynamic in the space uh big part of my philosophy is synchrony like when we do things together we unlock something that i term pro social energy and in every group, there the pro-social energy is latent. But when we synchronize the group and when we do something together as a unit, we unlock energy that wasn't possible if we were all doing our own thing. Yeah. So there's an unrealized potential and energy that you're that people already have and it's just not being tapped into. So you're helping them tap into what's already there. It's not helping them tap into it. It's like helping the group tap into the, it through the collective. So yeah, it's it, and then of course it translates to the individual for sure. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And let's say someone was you could you could imagine someone who'd never done any someone who stayed in the you know social norms from kindergarten to university to their job who didn't have any experience stepping outside perhaps of um, that pathway or experience tapping into those tapping in that into that sort of collective ability to celebrate together 
how would what uh, recommendations or thoughts do you have for them to get started on that journey? Yeah, I'd invite them to start journaling uh, and practicing introspection regularly. I think a lot of the barriers are personal. Uh, and and I'm thinking about the impact of the social circle on our thought patterns as well. If we want to reinforce certain neuro circuits and thought patterns, our social circle is going to either help us reinforce those patterns or it's going to do the opposite. It's going to sabotage us. So, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would journal about one's thoughts and practice kind of cultivate more of this self-awareness and psychological distance. In other words, separating yourself from your mind. Uh, and then I would also invite people to do an audit of their social circle and surround themselves with people who are more free, not just socially, but mentally, right? Like a lot of people are slaves to their minds and everyone has a mind that is kind of insane. Like my mind is insane and as much as people see me having fun and embracing discomfort and dancing like an idiot, my mind sometimes tells me not to do that and tells me that I'm, you know, a worthless human being who will never be loved and accepted, you know, like it still happens to me too. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, my, my philosophy as is we just adapt, we adapt to our social environment. And I think there's this, there's this like huge appreciation for our individual willpower and our discipline and whatnot, but really all that's just predicted by the people around us. So I don't think there's a more powerful force for behavior change than social pressure. I think we all have those friends as well that kind of bring you, they bring you higher in your, in your comfort and your celebration and your ability to enjoy. I definitely connect with that. I'm wondering one of the premises of this, of this podcast project as well is that we can be bringing this posture, a posture of play and creativity, even to our hardest moments. So moments of deep conflict, moment where, moments when we're accustomed to just being completely um, going into sort of a nervous system response and going back to like a very Cartesian way of looking at, way of looking at things. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how we might engage with conflict playfully in our lives. Hmm. Conflict playfully. Whew. That's, that's a tough one as, uh, hmm. Hmm. Well, I think that creating a context for a sensitive conversation is, is necessary. And so what that looks like is inviting people to check in about your relationship with them and making sure it's a good time and there's enough time. And I would begin those check-ins if consent is offered. I would begin those check-ins with joy, with something that brings people into joy. Because when we have positive emotions and healthy neurotransmitters in our system, we become more pro-social. We become able to empathize and see other people's perspectives. 
So, uh, and then, I, I mean, I, I think just embracing this, like, failing forward mentality, like, kind of laughing at each other's incompetence in conflict resolution and being like, oh, like, that was really stupid for me to say that. You're so right. So, like, having this self-awareness and laughing kind of at our fallibility in the conflict resolution process, and I don't even think it's resolution. I think it's management. A lot of conflict is never really resolved, and not it's not possible to be resolved. It's managed, and it's managed through agreements and requests. So, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm visualizing, like, myself get upset or start to use you statements like accusational statements and then the yeah i'm pointing and then the person in the conversation like mentioning that to me and me being like oh yeah like i can't believe i'm doing that you're so right and just like having this lightheartedness and this this ability to laugh at oneself and laugh at the the triggering that happens sometimes yeah, how about you? Well, I think that that point of laughing at ourselves and how we all are, are awful at conflict yeah. <laughs> is a great point. Uh, and yeah, and I, I definitely, I definitely resonate with that as well as the idea of just doing a, a check-in that brings us to a place of gratitude and joy. And I definitely, I like the idea of experimenting, uh, experimenting, knowing that none of us are perfect in conflict. And one of the most beautiful things is that there's always a thing to have a conflict about because even if you get really good at conflict management or resolution or whatever your remediation, whatever it is, people can always come and find reasons to criticize you. Uh, and a classic one being like, oh, you think you're so holier than thou. You think you're so good at this. <laughs> and, uh, kind of like come back down to earth kind of thing. So I think the, the, the space to be able to play and experiment with different ways of navigating those conversations for me feels like a, um, a pathway that's full of life. It's filled with life exactly. Mm. I mean, that's that's truly how we access like more aliveness in our relationships. Is uh, yeah, we cultivate this ability to trust each other when things aren't going well. And uh, you know, I just came out of this like human connection retreat, and one quote that really stuck with me: "If you cannot trust someone's no." you cannot trust someone's yes. So if we don't know when, okay, I, I think it's the opposite actually. So if there's an absence of conflict in a relationship and you never ever like feel like someone's saying no, then you don't know if someone's truly saying yes because it could just be a maybe. They could just try be trying to people please. And so it's so important like, for me, it's a red flag. If there's absolutely no conflict, like to me, it's just, it's what I expect in any relationship. Like humans are great self-development tools because they just trigger you. I mean, we, we all have weaknesses and strengths and we, we show each other what we're missing in, in our scopes of intelligence, right? Um, so yeah, conflict is, uh, we, we have a choice with conflict. Conflict can deepen our trust in the relationship or it can make us feel more distrust and it, it depends on how we deal with it. And if it's not there, it's a problem. Yeah. 
I have, one, I have one final question for you here. The I'm wondering what are you, you know, looking forward? You've spent, from what I've seen, you've spent years honing your practice, experimenting, tra- traveling around the world. What are you excited about these days? And also what are some things that you are wanting to be careful of? Mm, I am excited about the science of virtual meetings and how I can simulate the same effects as a touchy-feely, sweaty, eye-contact-filled dance party in person? How can I replicate that and the health benefits of that on Zoom and in virtual spaces? And I'm, I'm really excited about helping companies incorporate the science of human connection into their wellness strategy and how their organization meets. And so... That's kind of the the new focus in my in my brand as the party scientist. I'm also excited to fill my RV with a bunch of really close friends and adventure with them. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, what am I what am I being careful about? Hmm. You know, I'm being careful about withholding spending money on my health and wellness and things that really matter to me. Um, Yeah, I think how I was raised created this program of scarcity. And in the last like two years, I've really opened up to spending money on others and spending, spending money on like myself and my health and my space like this space. Like I want to get an infrared sauna. Like I want to, I want to invest in the best mattress on the planet. That's probably the best purchase you can make, by the way, is like a really good mattress. <laughs> um, other things I'm careful about, hmm, uh, not developing dogma and becoming an egoist <laughs> and always listening more and keeping my ears open to alternative perspectives. And, you know, at this retreat this weekend, a lot of it was about all this energy stuff and all these like like the chakra system that that doesn't make a lot of physiological sense and so there's there's kind of this, this lack of alignment between my intellectual self and my energetic self so want to keep that open mind and remove all dogma nice that's a powerful direction to staying staying as free as ego ego as possible staying free of dogma and I, I want to thank you for being a, a wild person. This this world needs wild people. I'm looking at a photo of you on Zoom here with as a young young child holding a sheep, and <laughs> so it's, it's quite fun <laughs> seeing little yeah. little you and big you gonna buy the best mattress in the world. And can I? <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to jump in. So the reason why I have that photo as my Zoom profile is it immediately disarms everyone in my Zoom meeting. Like, so I'll put that photo up. And I won't go on video until people see it because immediately they're just disarmed and it's just a joyful photo. So yeah, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> it is it is a joyful photo. And I, I think there's something, that notion of disarming people in the Zoom meeting and you're talking about in-person and online experiences, there, are, there is business as usual. And I hear one of the through lines I'm hearing in our conversation is constantly thinking, well, how can we disrupt that for the better? And actually to really step into the fullness of the potential connection in this moment. And this photo being a clear example. Yes, yes, all that, yes. 
Well, thank you so much for your, your time today. And I look forward to look forward to seeing where your adventures take you. I look forward to dancing through the streets like an idiot with you in the future. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Cheers. <laughs>